This is a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. Welcome to the Not Lukewarm Podcast with Deanna Bartolini, an author, speaker, and retreat leader who wants you to know your faith and live not lukewarm. Welcome, everyone. It's Deanna Bartolini with the Not Lukewarm Podcast, and I am excited today. I have a special guest, Erin McCole Cup. She is going to be talking to us about her new book. Uh, but before we get to that, let me introduce her. Erin McColcup is a wife, mother, and lay Dominican who lives with her family of vertebrates somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. When Erin is not writing, cooking, or parenting, she can be found reading, dancing English country, and dragging loved ones to visitor centers at tourist spots around the country. You can get to know Erin, her, all of her books, her joy in sharing God's healing at erinmccallcup.com. And I will, of course, as always, drop those links into the show notes so you don't have to remember them. Welcome, Erin. Thank you very much, Shiana. How are you doing today? <laughs> I, am, I am great. I'm chuckling at your um, dragging loved ones to visitor centers around the country <laughs> comments. Yeah, it's kind of a joke, like a family joke that I'm like, oh, every time we go somewhere, like, oh, look, there's a visitor center. And it could be for something that's like completely not related to whatever we're doing that day. But I just love visitor centers. <laughs> it's the most random thing. <laughs> you know, it's the little things, right, that make us happy, that bring us some joy. And it's good. Sometimes our families don't get it, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Exactly. So tell us uh, about your new book. All Things New, Breaking the Cycle, and Raising a Joyful Family. Okay, so um, as you said, it's um, All Things New, Breaking the Cycle, and Raising a Joyful Family. It's coming out from Our Sunday Visitor in June of 2021. And um, it's really a book for people who are approaching their own parenting journeys, basically with a book written in their head already of, okay, here's what not to do. <laughs> For those of us who were raised in families that um, perhaps caused quantitatively more harm than healing. And that's, that's an intimidating cross to bear when walking into one's own parenting, um, parenting journey, wanting to knowing, okay, I know exactly how I don't want to parent, but then there's, there's so much, you know, gray area. Okay. What, what's safe, what's good, what's healthy. Um, and it was a journey that I myself, I would love to say had to make, but I'm still making um, every moment of every day. <laughs> and thankfully, uh, God is there with us in that journey because he loves us and he knows exactly what we're going through. I think that comment is so important that God is with us in our journeys, no matter how long it takes and I think in our humanists, we always think they're taking too long. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm quite guilty of impatience myself. So I think we, we all tend to think that it's just taking too long for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, because parenting is difficult and can be tough as much as we love our children and we want our children and we want our families. It's not always easy. And when we don't have the best role models or the best situation that we can't came from, it, it can be more difficult and intimidating, I would imagine. Definitely. It's more difficult, more intimidating if, um, a, if somebody comes from a family where, you know, your own parents are not safe to, say, babysit your children. 
um, then like that source of respite is cut off. Um, there are all sorts of, you know, supports that, you know, plenty of people just take for granted. And actually plenty of people white knuckle their way through. Um, I, I, I know there are plenty of, you know, women who go on to have their children are afraid of what their mother could do to their children, um, but is also more afraid of the mother's outburst. Why won't you let me babysit? That kind of thing. So there's a terrible tension to, to be in that that space of, okay, what is the right thing to do here? And the, the mind and the heart may be so injured that it's hard to see that our children need us to stand up for their dignity, even if our dignity was not supported when we were children. It's hard. It's scary. It's difficult, but it's worth it. It is, it is worth it because our children, they need us to stand up for them. Um, like you said, even if we were not, if, even if we're not able to stand up for ourselves, oftentimes we can find that strength to stand up for our children because we know how important it is. You know, that sense of no one standing up for me. Well, I don't want my child to feel that way. Exactly. And that's where I, you know, before the show, we were um, talking about how empowering and how healing parenting can be because it gives us someone you know, to, to protect, um, to, like we said, to stand up for, um, even if, you know, we ourselves don't see ourselves as being worthy of that kind of protection and effort and courage. Um, it, it can draw us out of ourselves so that we can provide that for someone else. And through that process, realizing that we ourselves deserve that too, and then learn to stand up for ourselves. And that's part of all things new as well, learning how to stand up for our own dignity, our own boundaries in our relationships with our children, with our parents. It's so needed because we all have inherent dignity because we were created by God in his image. And that is what we believe as Catholics and as Christians. And that's why this is such an important topic to consider because we don't, you know, we all say, oh, we don't want to repeat our mistakes, right? There's no, there's no value in the second kick of a mule, as they say. Um, and sometimes, you know, I repeat the same mistakes over frequently, you know, whether it be, um, you know, the way doing, doing the laundry the wrong way or trying to do three things at once and burning food or whatever it is. I make mistakes all the time and some of them are big and some of them are small, but when you think about raising a family, that it's not a burden. It truly can be. And I think it, I mean, it is a joy to have a family, but it's not easy to do. Um, and so I think when I was looking at your, at the table of contents of the book, I love where you draw your inspiration from the outline of those chapters, right? So why don't you tell us, what is the, the structure there that you drew from? Well, I followed um, the, the idea that all we need to get ourselves on the right track of parenting is contained in the two greatest commandments, which is the one greatest commandment. But I do break it out into two chapters because there's a lot of meat there. <laughs> Jesus provides a lot of meat. Um, and then the eight Beatitudes. Um, and I was especially 
drawn to the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. A lot, I mean, I know in one, um, one of the gospels, I, I focus on Matthew's gospel because that's the one that says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, I know there's, I think it's Mark, it says, blessed are the poor. Um, so it's kind of the same thing, but the, the angle that I take on poverty of spirit, especially for um, survivors of family abuse and dysfunction is that being poor in spirit means to be teachable. It means to be willing to learn. Now for those of us who were raised by what I like to call wrongly spirited parents, um, one of the things that I hear from a lot of my fellow um, survivors is that our parents could never be wrong. Um, And if there was any sort of hint that they might have been wrong or done something wrong or said something wrong or painful, then all you know what would break loose. Um, And that that's, it's not just, you know, parents that fall into that trap. Um, A lot of people, most people at some point, myself included, fall into that trap of, well, what happens if I'm wrong? If I'm wrong, then everything falls apart and we become perfectionistic and overly harsh um, and trying to protect this idea that I have to be right, I have to be right, I have to be right. Where poverty is spirit is, there's a little bit in the book there about um, horses, where you want a horse with spirit. But if this horse has too much spirit, then you can't teach that horse because that horse is so afraid and constantly trying to lash back at any correction or any instruction. Whereas a horse that is poor in spirit can be led to work with children and to have children ride and learn how to ride a horse. Um, and, and so that, that idea of becoming ourselves poor in spirit, not rearing at every um, correction or every mistake that we make, but making ourselves gentle enough to teach children how to ride, metaphorically speaking, um, is such a gift. And I think that's why God put that beatitude first because unless we are teachable, unless we are willing to admit to ourselves and everybody around us that we are poor in knowledge and poor in understanding and poor in wisdom, we can't bring anything in. We can't draw anything into ourselves besides those things that were pushed into our brains, such as harshness, cruelty, um, denial, all those nasty things that destroy relationships, especially between parents and children. And if a relationship between parents and children is that damaging, then that child's relationships with the rest of the world, including and perhaps especially God, are really, really under fire. Well, that, okay, so first of all, that is such an interesting way to explain poor in spirit. And I have heard many people explain it, and I've read many things, and that is probably the most understandable I've ever heard it explained. So kudos. Um, Thanks. <laughs> but God helps a lot. <laughs> well, always does. Um, the, the idea too, you, as you were talking, I realized, you know, our image of God is so framed by how our parents treat us. And it is difficult to want to be poor in spirit because there's that fear, especially if you grow up thinking that being wrong is somehow bad, you know, that that means you're, you're, you know, I hate this word stupid, but that's often, that was a pretty common word. I think 
at least when I was a kid, I don't know if they still use it in school if kids throw it at each other still. I don't have young children anymore, but stupid was like just a horrible word. It's so ugly, right? And but and also if you think about it, there are plenty of children who grow up that if they're wrong, their lives are threatened. Yeah. You know, that like their very lives are threatened. That's that's no joke. And and it's a, it's terrible to think that that is perpetuated. And so your book really aims to help people break, as it says, break the cycle, right? Um, Because we all, well, I don't know if we all know, but most people I think know that abuse of any kind is certainly a cycle that does need to be broken. Um, And it's not always easy because it's so ingrained because children by their nature take in whatever the person that is taking care of them tells them. And so how right. do you, how do you get out of that? Really? Yeah, well, for, definitely. First of all, it's, I think it's really important to note that, you know, the, the bad parenting ingredients, I call them in the book um, that we acquired as children by learning from example, um, that's if we knee jerk back to using those ourselves, I mean, it's almost like what choice did we have really? Uh, Yes, there's always choice. We do have free will. That said, um, we have to, you know, acknowledge that, you know, abuse survivors have a certain, you know, level that God knows of our culpability in that situation, because so many of those survival tax tactics that we picked up, they were literally survival tactics in order to survive and, you know, get up out of bed another day. uh, Plenty of abuse survivors had to develop really unhealthy coping mechanisms. They weren't, they're not healthy for outside of that environment, but they, they got us through, you know, they, they did their job. They kept us alive. Um, I, you know what, I just, I spun off on a little tangent there because I wanted to make sure, to, you know, to validate that experience. But then to to change that cycle, we're talking about breaking that cycle now, right? Right. Okay. Right. So to break that cycle, to become teachable, to say, hey, you know what, that didn't serve me anymore. It takes a lot and it definitely takes, you know, it's something that can't be done without God. And that's why, you know, I really wanted to write this book to make sure people had an opportunity to hear of to hear and see and feel and imagine the ways that God hurts for us. God walks with us, uh, how God was there in, in all of that pain, holding us through it uh, to get us through to another day so that we can learn another way. And, you know, through the tools of um, becoming teachable, learning to let our emotions and our children's emotions just be learning what it means to um, have boundaries and not, have to take care of everybody else's feelings for them because you know when we were kids if you didn't do everything you possibly could to make sure mom or dad felt happy then pretty sure they would pretty soon they would be making everybody else feel really unhappy um and so that's one of those coping mechanisms that um is basically once we are adults and are aware of it that can be an offense against meekness because meekness isn't telling everybody what they want to hear meekness blessed are the meek because the meek know where i stop and the other person begins 
And so I am not going to try to cajole that person or rage that person into doing what I want anymore. And I'm going to acknowledge that person doesn't have the right to do that to me either. That's what meekness is. And I think a lot of, I I do touch on this in the book, a lot of the um, spiritual truths in the Beatitudes, unfortunately, they got, what's the right word? Um, Mutilated? That's a little harsh twisted, definitely twisted by parents who weren't, weren't teachable, didn't want to learn, um, didn't want to learn that they were wrong. And um, so use things like, well, you know, if, if you're standing up and saying, I'm not allowed to hit you anymore, then you're not being meek. Um, and, and, and so on, I could go on and on, but. <laughs> well, read the book. <laughs> <laughs> Scripture there are always going to, unfortunately, people will always use scripture for their benefit. Um, in other words, to make their point, not, whereas that's really not the purpose of scripture. The purpose of scripture is to let it soak into ourselves so that we become better people. Um, but as you pointed out, if we don't have the first beatitude, that teachable spirit, then nothing's going to soak in. And so you're going to yield scripture like a club, which I can pretty much say with certainty is not the intention yeah. <laughs> of, of God's yeah, word. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, yeah, I, I'm on your side on that one. Definitely. <laughs> you know, just, just don't, don't see that. I just don't see that. Um, so you, you frame, okay. So the two greatest commandments, you know, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the eight beatitudes and within each chapter, I noticed a couple of things. You have a saint for each chapter. Yes, and, I do. Okay. And then you have something called the Holy Family Moment. Can you tell us a little I bit about do. that? The Holy Family Moments um, were moments when you could see the Holy Family, you know, learning from each other how to live the beatitude that Jesus grew up to preach. So, oh my goodness, I'm drawing a blank right now. Trauma brain folks, <laughs> where um, just the, one of the Holy family moments is where um, the, the finding in the temple, obviously. Yes. Where, you know, the, the, the Holy family, they, you know, Mary and Joseph, Mary tells Jesus, your father and I are anxious. Um, and we've been searching for you. And, you know, Jesus' response is, well, I had, you know, of course I was at my father's house and I wrote there, like, if it were me, I'd be saying, I'll show you your father's house. <laughs> but of course, that's not what they do. They honor each other's perspective. Jesus obeys, yes. And they don't, in, the, the Holy Family didn't invalidate Jesus. Mary and Joseph don't tell him what, you know, they don't, you know, rip into him for, you know, for this horrible experience. They hear him out and let him have his say, which especially with teenagers can be really hard to do. I mean, it's, it's hard to do with toddlers, especially when their say might be reminding us of how a parent from our past treated us. And we might want to use those faulty tools that helped us survive um, our parents against our kids. And that's, that's where the cycle comes in. But then the Holy Family shows us how to stop living the way that our ancestors did because they are the first family of the new covenant and they show us how new covenant families live. And so that, that grace is available to every single one of us, um, you know, namely through the sacrament of baptism. 
And that is true because God is going to give us grace when we ask, you know, when we approach him, of course, in the sacraments, but on a regular basis, you know, there's no, uh, you cannot ask God too often for grace, for mercy, for love, for a better way. Um, And the Holy Family, you know, gives us example as well, um, because they did live on this earth, just like we do, Um, not in this time, but on this earth. Um, So what, what do you want the people who read your book to get out of the book? Mm. I think if I had to sum up in one word, what I hope people get out of it, it's freedom. It's the freedom to choose a different path than was offered to us. The freedom to see the places where we contributed perhaps to the ways that we are starting that cycle up again in our own behavior. And I will be the first person to admit that I repeated a lot of, and still do, you know, again, knee jerk, um, repeated a lot of my parents' mistakes. Um, But we don't have to, that freedom to say there is another way. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of learning. It's going to take a lot of teachability and awareness of painful emotions, but it's possible. Um, And then the freedom that comes from living those beatitudes, particularly in the light of coming out of the shadows of family abuse and dysfunction, sets us free to see where our children are being mistreated, including by ourselves and by our parents, and to see where we are being mistreated still, perhaps by parents who remain alive and unrepentant. Um, My, you know, sort of like slogan now is repent and break cycles, because Jesus didn't preach perfection. He preached repentance, which is great hope for those of us who have, and I raise my hand here, um, I thought that if I just try harder, 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 then I'll be able to be perfect and I'll stop hurting my kids. And why do I keep failing anyway? Well, it's because the key is not getting things perfect. The key is getting ourselves repentant and willing to change and willing to do things God's way instead of our way. Because if our way were going to work, it would have worked by now. (laughs) I don't know about you, but my way doesn't work. (laughs) That's, that is so, so true. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, how many times do we need to, do I need to repent? Um, And I, I remember we used to go to, we'd all, we'd all go to confession as a family, not into the confessional, but you know, at the same time. <laughs> and um, sometimes the, my kids were like, mom, mom, what were my sins? What were my sins? And I would look at them and think, really? And so we would talk a little bit. And then one day I said, I said to one of them, I said, so what do you think are my sins? And they're like, oh, you yell a lot. I was like, okay, then, <laughs> you know, and, and this is it. And so every time we keep going back to God with the same sin, right? But like you said, if we don't acknowledge that flaw in ourselves, then there is no hope of us overcoming it. And I think the one thing that I have learned, you know, through the process of writing that book, which, you know, led me thankfully to finally find an excellent therapist, um, which put me on the track to a lot of healing. It's knowing, I mean, I, I could list my faults, no problem. Um, it was being able to sit with the pain long enough to not reach for the fault as comfort. 
is so key because those of us who, I mean, I want to say it's, it's not just the purview of people who were raised in family abuse and dysfunction. It's just sinners. We reach for the fruit because it looks good to eat, not because, you know, we hate God necessarily. Sometimes that, you know, the repetition of the sin leads to that, but leads to that hatred of God. But I believe Aquinas says, and I'm going to butcher this, it's not a quote, that um, we, a lot of, most of the times humans sin out of love, um, love of the wrong stuff, love of comfort rather than truth. But it's, you know, this inherent desire towards getting comfortable, um, which in a lot of ways, hey, kept us alive, but in a lot of ways, you know, can kill us too. So it's that ability to, you know, get close enough to God that we can hear God's voice telling us, this is not real comfort. And then to sit through the discomfort until we can get to the real comfort. Because I, I mean, a fellow, you know, recovering yeller here, I know I, I yell a lot, I have yelled a lot. Um, I, it wasn't because I was lashing out at my kids. It was because I was lashing out at pain. I was lashing out at pain. And until I was able to sit with that pain enough and let it be there, I couldn't stop yelling. I didn't stop yelling. So it's that and there's a lot of that in, in the book of, you know, learning how to identify your emotions and accept them rather than trying to swat them away. That's a huge part of recovering from this poorly spirited upbringing. I can imagine that that would be of a huge help because the, the idea of sitting with what you're uncomfortable with and working your way through it is ultimately going to be more helpful because really, and and we have a model in Christ in that, right? I mean, he, his passion and his death led to his resurrection. Why would we think that we don't need to have passion and death in our own life to lead to our resurrection? It really is that same idea, um, you know, that, that there's pain and it may not be our own fault and we may not like the pain, but to, to sit with it, I think that it's, it is valuable, um, you know, and to know how to navigate out of it without falling back into those patterns that we want to get rid of. Yeah. Amen. I also think it's very important that you mentioned that you found a good therapist because oftentimes people who have great faith will say, well, you don't need anything but God. Well, God gave us an yeah. intellect. Well, well, the next time your toilet backs up, why don't you pray that, <laughs> pray over your sewer and see what happens. Right. <laughs> you know, God, God gave us work for a reason. And some people have the work of leading people towards healing with him, ideally. So yeah, I'm a big fan of therapy. I'm a big fan of researching your therapist first um, because of the particular type of abuse that I experienced growing up. I had, it took me literally 18 years to find a therapist. I I kid you not. I I lost, I have lost count of how many therapists I tried and had to um, say no to. So may I just give like a brief PSA on, you know, Erin's suggestions on how to find the right therapist for you. Number one, um, do as much reading as you can about different types of therapy. There's um, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectic, dialectic, behavioral therapy, um, internal family systems, etc. There's so much, so many different kinds of therapy. Read about the ones that are shown to be best for your type of challenge. 
um, and then you know, find out what your insurance will cover and then find some therapists that you might, that followed that particular method or methods and call and interview that person first. Um, because a lot, because of my Catholic faith, a lot of the therapists that I tried basically kind of took the tack that, oh, well, you're just hiding in your Catholic faith because of, um, the Catholic false idea, this whole chastity idea, chastity is, is just trash. I'm like, mm, you know what? No. So it took me a really long time. And I finally found a therapist who was um, on the Catholic Therapist Association, I believe. If you go to my website, there's a link for resources. That website is listed towards the top of that page. Um, I, I called him up and said, okay, I want to interview you. And, you know, my, after the insurance questions and everything, my next question is, okay, tell me what you know about theology of the body. And he was able to answer that. I'm like, okay, when can I see you? <laughs> because it was somebody who I knew had the same, at least had the respect for the, my values, the things that are yes. important to me and have brought me healing. Um, that doesn't mean you can't have a good therapist who respects your values, who is not Catholic or Christian or of your faith. A quality therapist will be able to meet you where you're at. Um, it's just, I understand people's, you know, values can be so deeply rooted that they just couldn't meet me where I was at. And that's okay. That's why I advocate call first in an interview and interview your therapist and see if you are a good fit before you start unburdening your whole soul. You know, I I think, yeah, I think that is a great, uh, suggestion and it comes from a world of experience. So, uh, I think, it's, it's well taken. Um, and it makes sense, you know, why, like you said, before you're going to bear your soul, um, you want to make sure that the person's not going to just blow you off, um, or pick on one thing that maybe they have an issue with <laughs> that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with you personally. Um, so, you know, you do want to be sure of that. And I know that your website has a lot of information, including, um, resources. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Click on those resources. If you're looking for, um, places where you can get the help you need to break your cycles and even just find out where your cycles are because through therapy I, there were a lot of I, there were a lot of things I knew I was doing wrong that I had corrected a lot of things that I knew I was doing wrong and thought I couldn't correct like I was trapped and then through this I've discovered oh look at all these other sins that I'm committing all right well that's good to know <laughs> so that those can be faced and, and worked out as well yeah. yeah a good therapist will be a part of that yeah, I think it's important, you know, to have a, a good therapist, you know, probably a, a trusted confidant um, who can help you with your spiritual growth. You know, all of those things help us to become better people, uh, especially when we find the right fit, as you said. So um, anything else about the book that you want to touch on that we haven't brought up? Hmm, that is a good question. Um, I, I just... I think that the thing that's I'd like to encourage people to do who once they do read the book um, to reach out to others because it's, it's touched on briefly, but it's actually something that I have experienced more since the book got into the pipeline at OSV that um, reach out to others because we are made for a relationship. It is not good for us to be alone. And if the people around you are not hearing you, um, go outside that circle, (laughs) keep reaching because there are people who will hear you and hear your story and say, yeah, that's, that makes sense that you're feeling this way. 
and be that accepting, loving face of God to you that, that somebody with skin on, we need people with skin on. Um, and there are resources on my site about where to find um, possibilities for that. But there's all this research that's coming out that real time interactions with safe people who um, don't criticize and don't harm you in that interaction are those are so vital, perhaps the key to rebuilding a mind that has been traumatized, especially by developmental trauma, a.k.a. child abuse. Um, it's so important. It is the key. It, that's the thing that helped me stop yelling, really, was having regular safe people to talk to. It stopped cr- issues of chronic pain, believe it or not. Um, yeah, so that definitely, once you put the book down, reach out. Once I'm not in your head anymore, keep reaching out and finding other people to be that face of God to you and that you can be the face of God to them because that God will never forsake you. He will never leave you an orphan. Maybe he just has your family outside of your family. I think that's a, a lot of wisdom in there, a lot of wisdom. And I look forward to reading the rest of your book. Tell us where we can get your book. Gladly. Okay. So if you go to, I believe it's osvbooks.com, it's from Our Sunday Visitor. Um, they have it there. Um, if you would like to get it from Amazon, it is also available on Amazon. And oh, also a little plug um, once it is safe to do so, go check out your local Catholic bookstore first and ask if they don't already have it, ask if they could get it in for you because they can, your local Catholic bookstore can be a great resource for um, not just great books and book recommendations and um, goods that will support your spiritual walk, but also for community. Like I was talking just now about that community. Your bookstore might be a place where you could form a community of people who um, can be that, that spiritual family for you that we all so desperately need. That's a very good suggestion. That's definitely something not in, in my part of the world. We don't have any Catholic bookstores, sadly. Um, but same here. I live in Amish country. So like, <laughs> you know, we, we've got places where you can buy horse feed, but there's no Catholic bookstore. But if you live where there is one, yes. go to your local Catholic bookstore. Go to the local Catholic bookstore and ask them for Aaron's book um, and for all of the other Our Sunday Visitor books, all of them. Um, so that would be great. And yes, so you can check it out on Our Sunday Visitor's website, Amazon.com. And of course, I will put all of those links in the show notes. Um, I really encourage you to take a look at the book. And like I said, I am looking forward to reading the rest of it um, when it is out. And just to really look at how can I be teachable? I really, I really liked that. I like that a lot, Erin. How can I be teachable? Because um, even though I don't have any kids who live at my house anymore, um, it doesn't mean that I can't learn and grow to be a better parent and grandparent um, and, you know, be the person that God calls us to be, you know, um, and not, not be stuck in our past. So anything else? Just thank you again for this opportunity to chat with you. It was so good. I'm so blessed. And um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Well, I'm glad that you were able to come on. And I'm going to tell you something that Erin hasn't told you. She's hysterically funny to follow on Instagram. She also has a TikTok account, but I don't do TikTok. Um, But she puts them on Instagram. She's laughing now. And when I say she's funny, what I mean is she is funny. But what she says is so spot on, truthful and honest, but it's not, 
um, you chuckle and go, oh my gosh, she just hit the nail on the head with that one. You know, so it's, she's funny to follow, um, but truthful and honest. And I really, I like that. I don't know her personally, but um, I feel like I know her personally, especially from her, from her fun Instagrams. So um, I encourage you to check Thank out you, her that book. made my day. <laughs> so, I'm glad it serves. It, it does. I'm glad I, my humiliation serves people. <laughs> because it's yeah. all from like, yep, this is me. This, let, let, let everybody say it. <laughs> I, I used to have a friend who would tell people she's a fool for Jesus. And I would think, who better to be a fool for, right? So um, you're doing a good thing, even though. Oh, thank you. Uh, you ca- you ca- couch it. I don't know if, if you couch it in, in that humor, but it's still truthful. So anyway, all right, everyone, um, have a great week. And I will see you again next week at the Not, Not Lukewarm podcast. God bless you all. Thanks for listening to the Not Lukewarm podcast, a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, please subscribe or tell a friend or leave a review. You can find all show notes and links on notlukewarmpodcast.com. That's also where you can find links to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. If you have a topic that you'd like to learn more about or want to tell me how the Not Lukewarm Challenge went this week, please send me an email at Bartolini at mediaangels.com.